Hello and welcome to the Dreamcast Game Library, uh, the podcast where we try and chronicle every Dreamcast game that ever happened. I'm your host, Dominic Goulden, and with me today is... I'm Paul Oldfields, good friend of Dominic Goulding and fellow gamer. Good friend, fellow gamer, professional architect, uh, and just all-around legend, so there you go. Um, and today we're going to be talking about Choo Choo Rocket. So, my experiences with this game... Um, uh, I guess limited. I played it a little bit when I was a kid, and then played it again recently because I knew I was going to re- record it on the podcast. Did, did you did you get hold of this one, or did you just play it? Uh, did you just watch like a let's play or something? Yeah, so I managed to get like a um, an emulated version of the GBA version. Ah, okay, okay. And then, yeah, I, I did kind of pop on YouTube to have a look, and the problem with the emulated one, it, it seems though everyone when you read the reviews of this era. It was all about like the multiplayer, um, which was obviously impossible to trial on the emulated version. So I did play a lot of the puzzle modes. Yeah, yeah I did pop on YouTube to see just how crazy that multiplayer was. It, 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 it struck me that it, the game just seems to have two absolutely distinct avenues where the puzzle mode seems like quite a sit down and think type of exercise to go through each level, whereas the puzzle mode just seems... Uh, goes at 100 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, it was like the puzzle mode just looks like it was about trolling your mates. And yeah, um, I, yeah I only played the puzzle mode for, for the same reason. I've got it on emulator, and it was the first Dreamcast game to have online functionality, um, which probably means it was one of the first console games ever to have online functionality, which, like, I can imagine it would have been a lot of fun, but yeah, I had no one yeah. to play it with. So, and then. Because I'm covering it for the podcast, I'm like, I have to beat the game. So I went on that, um, you know, that How Long to Beat website. Yeah. And it was like, um, the average person beats Choo Choo Rocket in like, I think it was like two or three hours. And I was like, okay, so what were they doing with that? So I guessed it was the puzzle mode. Because you get like A1, A2, A3, and so on, all the way up to like, I think it goes up to D or E. So there's about 25 puzzle stages that get increasingly silly. Um, so that's what I that's what I did, and I liked that. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know what the multiplayer would would feel like other than stressful. <laughs> oh, I can, I can only imagine. Like I, um, yeah, so it's, it's probably quite intriguing. Like I played the uh, the Game Boy Advance version then because um, with it being the first online game, I I, I used the help of our friends uh, out of Print Archive who were collecting all the Dreamcast magazines. And I, I know we've discussed this. Uh, off, off camera haven't we yeah yeah <laughs> worth bringing so, on like, the uh, pod though yeah good shout out to them guys they are on twitter so they're they're doing all sorts of magazines so they are starting to collect the dreamcast ones so yeah it was apparently the first dreamcast game online in the uk i don't know if it was the first online one outside of the uk but apparently it had an odd system where you had to sign up to the dreamcast online but there was no games to play. So apparently as a reward, if you'd signed up initially and, you know, given a few months subscription, they'd send you Choo Choo Rocket in the post for free. Oh, okay, as, as like a, an introductory yeah. gift. Yeah, apparently. So, oh, I'm just going to let the cat in. He's, he's going mad. Uh, Hello, Henry. Are you okay? <laughs> okay, carry on. Hey, live, live recording day. Absolutely. Ridiculous nightmare. Yeah, so then... Um, I know another aspect of the game was you you could create your own levels as well. Now, I didn't confirm this, but in my mind, it's kind of like an early version of the Mario Maker games where you could upload your levels because... Okay. 
the Game Boy Advance version ended up with about 2,000 levels. Wow. And I know lots of them were fan-made ones. That's amazing. I, 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 can't, I can't quote this for sure, but like on the emulator version, I didn't notice that feature. And whether I just went straight to puzzle mode and didn't really look at it or... Yeah. That that might have just been a Game Boy Advance thing, or, or did the magazine say it was a Dreamcast thing? Yeah, I, I think I think the impression I got, like, yeah, you could um, basically create a level on the Dreamcast and then upload, from what I can tell. Um, again, didn't actually have the feature at hand to try it, but, uh, yeah, the, the Game Boy Advance version definitely ended up with a lot more levels. And it did seem to suggest that it did come from these fan-created ones, which is, uh, yeah, pretty awesome if you could make make a level back in the day and eventually spot it being produced in another game and that was awesome yeah the the, the first ever experience I had of um, level making was uh, do you remember the Tenchu Stealth Assassins games <laughs> no oh, they, they were uh, an early FromSoft joint I, I think it was FromSoft uh, um, yeah. and they were like hyper violent stealth games where you play as a ninja but the second one yeah. of those had a really good um, level creator um, yeah. But yeah, so Choo Choo Rocket would, would predate that massively um, by a couple of years. I imagine playing it on Game Boy Advance as well might feel like the right console because like, obviously we'll, we'll describe for people what it looks like in a minute, but um, it's, it's a really good game, but it, it feels a bit simplistic for the Dreamcast considering what the Dreamcast could do. Because um, obviously like, I don't know how you'd describe it. It's like a every level's a grid, right? And you've got... Yeah, yeah little mice on it that are called choo-choos, little stylized, angry-looking cats that are called kapu-kapus. <laughs> and, um, I mean, every every mission has kind of a slightly different objective, so I'm trying to think... Y- your main thing that you'll be doing is trying to get the mice into a rocket so they can fly away from the cat. But then um, there's some other things in the puzzle mode, aren't there? So there's, like, um, cat soccer. I, oh, there's feed the cat, where you have to make feed the choo-choos to the cat... What other modes are there? Um, oh, there's there's one that felt like it was very like designed for multiplayer, but you can play a single player, which is where um, you you have to like shoot the you have to get the mice in your own rocket and not put them in the enemy rocket. And the enemy's trying to steal the mice, something like that. Um, I mean, stylistically, how how would you describe it? Like, if if someone asked you what the graphics yeah. look like. I'd probably go back to your point where you said it, it, it probably doesn't feel of its era. Consider it was almost seemed. Um, I suppose you do get the odd game at times where it does feel a bit of like the previous generation. Where I suppose by today's standards, it's probably what you'd just get as like a mobile game. Really. I think it is. I think you can get this as a mobile game now. Yeah, it's just like simplistic kind of pick up. You know, play a few levels. You know, maybe come back to it if you're a bit stuck on something. Yeah, like. But I do think like it has aged surprisingly well in terms of graphics. I've always said that probably the first era of three D, be it you know PS One, you know Dreamcast, N sixty four, like those three Ds haven't aged that well, unfortunately. Whereas a lot of the two D games that are around them have aged really well. Yeah, um, and even earlier stuff like you know the SNES two D games have just aged absolutely beautifully. Like they're, they're ones that like you know you often go back to and look at the, the aesthetics to them. So yeah, like style-wise, very simplistic for its time, but it's a nice one to replay in this era, I would say. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And, and like going back to what you said about it being like a mobile game, I think um, we're so accustomed to having like even from the nineties having Snake. This is like 
physically not much more advanced than Snake, really. Um, we know which we, you could play on your old Nokia phone. But, like, it is nice in this day and age when, like, all modern AAA titles that come out are like, yeah, the main story will take you 90 hours, and uh, if you do all the side missions, it'll take you 500 hours. And I, yeah. as someone who works, like, two full-time jobs, I don't necessarily want that. <laughs> so, so, yeah, for, I know so something like this appeals to me, where it's like, yeah, it's a simple puzzle game. You could probably beat every puzzle in, like, two or three hours, and there's no consequence if you stop at any point. You could just dip in and out. I quite like that. Yeah, like, similar to yourself, like... I do like the idea of some of these large games and like I, I do play them but it's like having the capacity to do them all the time is just like I, I just think I don't know when you reach a certain age you can't do it anymore like pro- probably one of our favourite series of games like the Dark Souls ones I yeah think, like that like I, I find myself so involved in them it, I often find like it's not just say playing the game like I want to spend like the evening researching the intricacies of but, like upgrading a weapon yeah so, and, like, and for I, me the law yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And like, I don't have the time to like constantly play games like that. That requires that sort of attention. Like, I could maybe fit them in, you know, tap, you know, here and there. But you know, plugging in something a little bit easier either side of those games just works out far, far better for myself. I'm just, I'm just gonna move this cat back out because he's. Uh, I can just see him in the background. You know, yeah. Very, very much like one of the cats in Choo Choo Rocket. He's being a villain. Topical. <laughs> he's he's trying to show you how evil cats can be, like uh, like in the game. <laughs> But yeah, um, it, going to like say say Dark Souls. So I've put like hundreds of hours into all the Dark Souls. Controversially, yeah. the one I've put the most into is Dark Souls Two, uh, yeah. which is the the black sheep of the family, right? But it's the one I liked the most. It's the one. Um, yeah. When you get had all the, the the DLC on it, so like the Old Iron King, the uh, the Sunken Crown, and the the Ivory King shit. Like it was all. I spent hours trying to. Did you do the Ivory King one? I spent hours trying to unlock the the armor. You have to like um, keep doing the the final boss fight loads of times with bonfire aesthetic to unlock this particular armor set. It was uh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I never did the DLC with number two. Like, I, I am proud that I completed all of them, but um, <laughs> yeah, I never did the DLC with that one. It's worth um, if if you get the Scholar of the First Sin edition for uh, PS4, it's it's worth doing because the DLC is is better than the main game on that <laughs> like i don't think i would have loved it if it was just the main game but with all the dlc yeah. it's, it's great yeah no it's um no, fond memories of all three i will say that's uh yeah so, um, I, I think number three will probably it'll probably always remind me of, like early lockdown now uh, i think it was one <laughs> yeah. of those where you know like probably similar to like loads of people you know suddenly ended up with like so much extra time and i was a bit like oh what can i do here and suddenly dark souls free guy. Yeah. Came, came in the post. Yeah, like, what am I going to do in this plague-ridden world? I'm going to go to a medieval plague-ridden world instead exactly. <laughs> and, and yeah. adventure in that. <laughs> but but they are they are really good. I mean, um, I think I think we, we talked off-camera about, like, because on this podcast I'm trying to chronicle every Dreamcast game, but with Choo Choo Rocket, there's not much more to chronicle. You get orange cats chasing little white mice and you're trying to escape in a rocket and it's a fun puzzle game recommended like it's it's good but um but the, there's not really much to talk about which is why like i was keen for us to do this one together because i thought well maybe we can talk about other games of this era and um and like you know you know buff out some time that way so i know you yourself weren't weren't a dreamcast man you were uh, a pure nintendo boy so yeah, i mean what when you know this, go on yeah, that, that, that has led me perfectly onto my story of this game so i, I think we we're in the classrooms of high school 
Unfortunately, not together. We uh, yeah, did for high school, but uh, it is what it is. We uh, so I think the classrooms are around about two thousand to two thousand and one. That'd be the right area. The big topic of conversation that I recall was the Game Boy Advance coming out. Now I think two thousand and one was just before the next generation of home consoles, so we were suddenly you know gearing up for the Game Boy Advance coming out. I remember saving my two or three pounds pocket money for about a solid <laughs> year <laughs> to, to barely be able to afford this console with one game. And I think all the chat was about oh, what game's coming out and what game you're going to get. I think I got like um, uh, Mario Advance 1, which was the, uh, do you know that Mario, do you know Super Mario 2, the, the, do you know the unusual Mario game where instead of like jumping you have to like pull up? Oh, is it, yeah, the one that was like, yeah. it was originally Doki Doki Panic and they, re, yeah. like, they were like, put Mario skins over it. I, I loved that game though, I thought it was great. Oh yeah, I thought it was classic. I remember, oh, I loved it at the time. I, I couldn't put that Game Boy Advance down. So, uh, but um, the, talk, the talk of the town was, as you can imagine, we were all reading like the uh, Nintendo magazines at the time. Yeah. I, was, I was reading N64 magazine because I liked the uh, the unofficial uh, slant of their the humour. <laughs> so, there, there was two puzzle games coming out for the Game Boy Advance. One was Choo Choo Rockets, which was a bit of an intriguing one at the time. Even as a bit of a youngster, I think we knew the significance that a Sega game was coming to Nintendo. Yeah, it does feel strange. Like obviously now it doesn't, but but at that time it, it seems like it was a weird move. I think at the time they knew the writing was on the wall. Mm. They were still back in the Dreamcast, but I think they were putting feelers out that if this console just goes amiss, we can't suddenly go for producing consoles and selling games to absolutely nothing. I think they were putting the feelers out for who, which companies they would feel comfortable working with. For like so moving, think, moving to just a, a game maker rather than a console maker. Yeah, a hundred percent. I I think they basically put out what they would put maybe not not a franchise game with Choo Choo Rocket. It was obviously a new bit of intellectual property. I think they just thought, let's put out some feelers. Let's go to Nintendo. If this looks like a good working relationship, maybe we'll put other games on their console. Which suddenly a year or two later, um, the GameCube. I don't know if it launched with um, Sonic Adventure Two, but it feels as though it was an early game on the GameCube. Yeah, you could definitely wow. play it on the... And, and weirdly, Sonic Adventure 2, I think, was like... You could play it on Dreamcast, but it was, like, I think, one of the last Dreamcast games, and it feels weird that it wasn't Dreamcast exclusive. It launched across a few things. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we probably weren't far off that era. So, um, I remember this was discussed quite a lot, but the other one that was discussed was Kuru Kuru Kurin. Oh, I do not know that. So, that was... It was at... It was actually a launch title. I had to look this up last night to make sure I was right. It was a launch title in the UK and Europe on the Game yeah. Boy Advance. So it was a very simplistic puzzle game where you had a rotating stick that rotated clockwise, mm. but you had levels to navigate that eventually got harder. So if your stick's rotating, you'd have obstacles where you could only go through it if it was at its finest point. Okay. And then you had to go from a start zone to an end zone. It, oh, I, I would if you get a chance to find that on an emulator. So so addictive. Ah, uh, so yeah. I, I just wrote. I, I associate these two games together because of that reason. I just at the time, um, yeah, just two relatively simple concepts on the Game Boy Advance. I just remember, you know, as you said, you discussing with everyone what games you're gonna get, and like, yeah, that, that's why in my mind these two are always together. That... Which one I prefer? I don't know. Maybe I do prefer Kuru Kuru, but. Um, 
Yeah, both both of the time of the era, very simplistic, really addictive puzzle games. I'm gonna I'm gonna emulate that because I could do with I really like a lot of the Game Boy Advance stuff. It had a nice um it had a nice feeling to it. So like on this podcast I talk a lot about um the aesthetic of the Dreamcast. It had like a very iconic aesthetic yeah. and I feel like the GBA did as well in terms of everything felt very big on it, like all the games yeah. were very colourful, very big and blocky. Uh I think I played a lot of Yoshi's Island on it if I remember rightly when I had it back in the day. Yeah, that, that was another one I loved. Um, yeah, those... Um, I can't remember which one it was, but basically they re-released all the SNES Mario games, didn't they? And I think they eventually got around to the Yoshi's Island one. And yeah. Then, oh, that's an all-time favourite of mine of that era. So, so good. I think, as you say, like those SNES games as well, they did translate quite well from, from memory onto Game Boy Advance. Yeah, they, they, they upped the graphics a little bit and like gave the colour a little extra pop, but yeah, the, the, the gameplay translated really well. And I think there was yeah. a few Castlevania exclusives for the GBA, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, there was indeed. That, that, that's actually one I've noted down here. Well, <laughs> I, I, so it was a, absolutely well prompted by yourself there. So uh, yeah, I believe there was three exclusives on the, the Game Boy Advance. Uh, they were all... Uh, they were all basically based on the PS1 game, which I've forgotten the name of. Oh, uh, uh, was it Symphony of the Night? Or, um... Yeah, I, I know it's the one that's really well received. I think they were essentially like, you know, Castlevania, yeah. uh, Metroid, well, Metroidvania type games. I think what they did add, though, they did add like an etch, a bit of a role playing element. They all seem to have some sort of interchangeable abilities um, that you can pick up as you're going around the castles. So, as you were, they got re-released at the end of last year, I can't remember the exact date, or as the Advanced Collection. Um, so yeah, I picked that one up on Switch, which I think we were discussing games translating from one console to another. I just I just think like anything to Switch seems to be... <laughs> there's not, not many bad Switch conversions at the moment. Yeah, Switch, Switches, Switches hold it up really, really well. I'm, I'm, um, I've, I've got that thing at the minute with, where it's an N64 emulator and I haven't played any of the games yet, but I'm very excited to do so because I know Majora's Mask just dropped on it. But um, uh, yeah. I, I know the Castlevania ones, like you say, they're in like a, a collection package. you got to download, uh, you got to buy them, but I probably will buy them at some point. Yeah, I'd recommend it. I'd probably say for now, it's the absolute jewel in the crown there is Aria of Sorrow. It's, it's the third game, and I think they just learned so many lessons from the first two that it just became a bit of a... Oh, yeah, they just... I, think, I can only presume it was the same team working on it. I think they were just almost like uh, go in, know how to perfect it. They were masters of what, what the craft was, and just, uh, oh, it was an absolutely stunning game. So I Yeah, the, the, the name's familiar to me, and, and like given that there's so many Castlevania games, the fact that that name makes me go, oh yeah, that, that must be a good one. <laughs> yeah, so I um, I actually played it over uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and Boxing Day just gone. Uh, yeah, I was just after something kind of like, like a little bit of a quicker game to play. I, I think I think it played took me well over 12 hours so not too bad to be fair and um, oh yeah just stunning i think it was probably one of the yeah but i have to rank it so highly in my uh metroidvania games it's uh, it, it was brilliant so it still stands up as well almost 20 years later that that means i'll definitely be going back to it i, I kind of uh i feel like i've boxed myself in doing just a dreamcast pod because there's a lot of games <laughs> from that era that i feel like i'd talk about but um maybe i'll do some bonus episodes uh, uh, so that that kind of leads me neatly to I've got um, a controversial uh, statement. <laughs> I want to see where you stand on it. I, I posted it on FB a few weeks back, so I think you commented. 
but I believe the peak era for gaming was 1995 through 2002. I feel like everything that came out in those seven years, almost everything, was extremely creative, very, very unique. I feel like everything prior to that was people like tuning up, if you like to think of it like a guitar, and everything after that was just capitalism gone mad of people just re-releasing and rehashing the same shit. Obviously, yeah. there, there are still really good games that come out nowadays. I'm not I'm not saying there aren't, but it felt like at that time you could go into a game shop and buy virtually anything and it would just be good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm semi-inclined to agree. It's probably a broader description, really. I, I personally think that that era... I know neither of us obviously work in the industry. Yeah. But I'd love to know what the average team was. Now, I could be misquoting here. I'd always heard Mario 64 had a maximum of 20 people working on it. I so think this I is going back it. to your theory of smaller teams make better games, which which I agree with. Because, like, it, basically, I, there, there's probably hundreds if not thousands of horrible poor games of that era oh yeah but the difference is if you can have a 20 person team working on something if you look at the output of studios that are still around today they were putting out one or two games a year if you look at a studio like Rare, obviously an english based company and um, so one that we're quite familiar with are uh, they obviously during the era that you've said um, they mainly worked on the N64 and then I think they just about got out one game on the GameCube before they went to Microsoft so just trying to think what they gave us they gave us GoldenEye did they give us Banjo-Kazooie was that rare? yeah so they had like Banjo-Kazooie Conker's Bad Third Day oh yeah. they were Conker's? yeah Banjo-Tooie uh, they had Donkey Kong 64 oh, yeah was... and Perfect Dark and then oh they, they had a lot of bangers then yeah, and then the only one they did on GameCube was the Star Fox game. Um, was it called Adventure or something like that? It's basically it's the one where it's the one where they weren't in the fighter jets. They were kind of like it was just like it was almost a bit of a Zelda type game. Ooh. where Fox had like a staff. I haven't played that, but it makes me want to go back and play because that sounds pretty cool. I always yeah. wished on Star Fox you could get out and walk around. Yeah, it, it, it was alright games. It, it, they did. Re- we were still in the the after effects of like the Ocarina of Time era, when people wanted to like recreate that. It was nowhere near as good, but it was it was a solid effort. Um, but yeah, like if you look at them, like they were putting out like one or two games a year, which just makes me feel as though they probably were working in much smaller teams, which I do think that allows like a little bit more creative freedom. And I do think not having the fin- financial burden of potentially wasting four years of your life you know, or even five or six, you know, depending on like bigger budget game of this era. Yeah, like having a having a boss that's like, you know, how's it coming along? Where are we up to? Like, if it's just you and your mates making it, you can take as long yeah. as you want potentially. Yeah, or you can even say like a Choo Choo Rocket, obviously the title of this episode. Um, you know, like how long would that have taken realistically? Like, again, without being a coder, I would probably guess not that long. I'd be surprised but, if it took them over a year. I'd be very surprised as well. Like, I just feel as though you could probably shoot out a lot more concepts of games, and then whatever's landing best, you can run with. Yeah. Just really, just how how quicker it would have been to code. You know, maybe even like you look at something like the graphics and the music as well. Like, like the the, the music of this game is so good. Like that main line. Of the, of I'm the I'm, I'm going to sample that in at the start of the episode. Yeah, it, it's got some bops. 
<laughs> I'd, I'd say it's worth listening to this podcast just for that. <laughs> but um, I, I suppose I might be jumping around a tad here, Joe, but I think keeping on the subject of like how long it takes to produce a game, I've recently completed God of War, as in, you know, the, the 2018 one. The one where he's like in, he's a Nordic god now, instead yeah. of a Greek one, yeah. So, so effectively what's happened, I've never played the older games, this is actually the first, um, I've got a PS5, and that's the first Sony console I've ever owned. So like, basically he somehow switched to Norse mythology for this game. And now the, <laughs> one of the directors or one of the heads of the company who make it, we're discussing that, I think they originally wanted a trilogy of games set in North mythology. Right. But what they've decided to do is they've cut it down to two. I believe they're going to keep the same story elements, but just kind of do it all in this last game. Because what they said was... Sorry, cat, cat, cat again. Cat Making again. a problem. Yeah. Come on in. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah, so like in today's era, they're discussing like how long a game takes to create. And they're saying like these like AAA titles, as it, as it will be, you know, they take five years plus to make. So you're saying, like, if they wanted a trilogy of games, you're talking 15-year lifespan. That's insane. And, like, by, by the time yeah. they're, they're on to the third one, people won't care anymore, you know? Yeah. That's why they re-release stuff, I guess. Like, Skyrim's had about 10 re-releases, like GTA Five has, you know? Oh, they're, they're the two classics from that era. Like, they're both spanning, like, three generations of consoles now, aren't they? Where they've kind of just... Yeah, they're kind of... I, I, I don't even know if they've having. I, I feel as though each one's having slight improvements, but nothing, nothing major. Well, the, the Skyrim anniversary edition, because me and Nisha just replaying that right now, and I just got um, the anniversary edition. The edition yeah. is you can you you can fish now. <laughs> that, that's it. It's like we've had a fishing mini game. <laughs> yeah, I have to admit, Skyrim's a game that I I just. It's probably the only game I can say I play for sixty or seventy hours, but didn't quite you know, go any further than that. Like, as in, 60 or 70 hours should give you a good chunk of a game, really, whereas I feel as though I probably opened up about a third of the map with that. Yeah, it, all Elder Scrolls games like that. So Morrowind is uh, one of the official top five games of all time, in my opinion. <laughs> and um, that I've played... Genuinely, my playtime on that is over 500 hours. And um, I recently got a strategy guide for comedy value just because I wanted to have it in my bookshelf. And there's quests on it I've not done and places I haven't found <laughs> in 500 hours of playtime. Oh, that's crazy, that, isn't it? And, th- and yeah. that's the same series as Skyrim, so yeah, they are like that. Yeah, I, I just remember at the time, um, Skyward Swords, the Zelda game, came out. Um, and then Dark Souls 1 also came out at a similar time. So I think I found myself with like three, not similar games, but maybe like, you know, kind of like Sword and Shield, kind of like dungeon crawler games. And I think Skyrim yeah. was just the one that kind of like almost went to the back of the pile in the end. Cause, I mean, Dark Souls yeah. has got to be your standout from that pack. As, mu- as much as I love Elder Scrolls, as much as I love Zelda, um, yeah. Dark Souls just really changed the game, didn't it? Yeah, I, I, I remember at the time, I really, I was really high on Skyward Sword, but it's probably with hindsight looking back now, it, it's probably... Um, <sighs> It's it sure as hell can't be the worst Zelda. Like, you know, that plus to be honest, the worst Zelda is probably still pretty good by most standards. But it's probably like the one where I'd be least inclined to go back to it. Um, I think the ones either side, so like say Twilight Princess. Um, uh, was it Twilight Princess and Wind Waker came out between or? No, yeah, so yeah, so Wind Waker was the first one on the GameCube, um, which was had like year. You shall say the graphics on it. Uh, it's quite unusual aesthetics. I like um, that one. It's one of my faves. 
Yeah, that, that was uh, that was brilliant. That. Um, then then you had Twilight Princess, which was released on GameCube, but was also on Wii. So that's the one where you kind of turn into a wolf of some description. It had like it had quite like a dark atmosphere. Yeah, I remember. I remember playing a, a bit of that one. I never beat that, but I, I remember I'd come fresh off the back of Majora's Mask, and I was like, "Oh man, they're really leaning into this like this gothic trip. Everything's just very gloomy and washed out looking. Everyone's really sad." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was it was a good game. That I do remember enjoying that one. And then uh, yeah, Skyward Sword. Um, yeah, so that that was on the Wii. That 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 you had to get like a special adapter for your Wii controller. Like, um, oh, to do the dueling. Yeah, to do like yeah. I, I don't think I think the first release of the controller didn't actually have enough sensors in it to do almost like it's like one to one movement of swords. I think it could detect when you were moving, but not necessarily like the. I don't know, maybe the intricacies of like how a sword would be, would be moved. Well, that's how it was sold. I don't actually think it worked in reality, if I'm being honest. I feel like people spoke about it highly, because when, when they did the, the port on the um, the Switch recently, yeah. they, they modded over those controls, but I didn't try it because it just sounded like a fucking nightmare to me. Yeah, that, that's, that's what kind of put me off as well. Like, I think it'd be, I think as we were just saying then, if it'd been Twilight Princess with like updated graphics, I think that would have been perfect. But, I'm yeah, hoping they do that. Stage. Yeah, the, the control system of Skyward Sword just put me off. So, yeah, I mean, going back to your point, yeah, from those three games, yeah, Dark Souls is the one that kind of, like, stuck with me the most from that era, which was potentially a bit of a surprise at the time. Like, I did, probably didn't think it would be, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's one of those games where it was a bit, a bit of a thinker to begin with. You know, it's like, I think as you said earlier on, it's one of those games where I get fully involved where I'm just, like, you know, playing it during the day, looking up forums at night for tips and, you know, what, I don't know, if there's any odds and ends of weapons that I've missed. And it's a yeah, brilliant experience. Yeah, it's fully, it's fully immersive. I remember my dad going ham for Dark Souls, like, even when it just got teased, he was like, my dad was like, I guarantee you this will be the game that changes the game. And I was like, no, I don't know, dad, I think you're getting a bit, hang on, I'm just going to move these cats again, because once again, they're being naughty. I was like, and I don't know, Dad. I think you've been like a bit spicy with this. I don't know if it's it looks pretty good, but uh, he was right. <laughs> it did. Um, but going to From Software, so I'm I'm gonna wrap up in a minute because I'm conscious we're over half an hour. But um, yeah, going to From Software, they did do at least one Dreamcast game that I'm aware of. So I don't know if you ever played King's Field for the PS One. They, they did. Um, uh, do, you, do you know that stuff? Do you know do you know my um main experience of it it's one of our wicked youtubers that we love um, do you know the guy who's doing that I played the souls like game so you don't have to oh okay I don't know if you come across him oh, let, let, let me quick, if I can look him up quickly I was going to say drop, drop a name because I'll definitely check him out basically what it is I can, I can probably just tell you the premise quickly so I uh, obviously since the popularity of the Dark Souls series people have kind of done like souls I suppose souls born maybe the yeah born so souls like games where what they effectively do is they just copy the exact concept where it almost be like I, I suppose for me it's kind of like having that higher difficulty you know some sort of bonfire and souls leveling up system and like really so, illogical progression that's not explained <laughs> yeah and like yeah yeah that's another aspect I think like yeah like storylines where it's just like you just overhear a character to barely pick anything up so yeah, so basically, um, yeah, a guy on YouTube he's just constantly playing through um, Souls-like games and just reviewing them. Like, and that one, that King's Field, is one where I think he, I think he has reviewed that on his podcast. Well, sorry, his YouTube videos. And um, 
I can recall him mentioning other ones in that series, but I can't. I can't even be able to distinguish between the, the PS1s or the Dreamcast editions I, or whatever the exact differences were. I think they did four Kingsfields in total. Now, unfortunately, I don't think they ever dropped one on the Dreamcast. The um, the, the FromSoft game on the Dreamcast I'm, I'm referring to, uh, get ready for this name, was Frame Gride. <laughs> I assume it's meant to be Frame Grid, but there's an E on the end. I don't know if it's a bad <laughs> translation or something, but it's one of those like mech games you know how, like, in the late 90s, early 2000s, everything just had mechs in it? So, like, Metal Gear Solid had big robots. Uh, there was, like, off the top of my head, like, Tech Romancer, Ring of Red. A lot of the games were just big robots. It was just... I think it was, like, a first-person shooting control system, but in a third-person game, which is pretty standard now, but for the time was unusual. Um, yeah. And you, you're a big robot zooming around fighting other big robots I've not played it yet I've got it um, but yeah that's the FromSoft game for the Dreamcast they, they sadly never did a Kingsfield for it but I wish they had yeah. it, it is mad how they seem to come from like almost maybe not jokey game developer I'm sure as hell not like a big budget you know like well respected games developer then suddenly you know it's almost like Every game, Dark Souls onwards, it's just been like pure gold. It is like uh, yeah, they're one of the know. most respected companies yeah. now. But in the late nineties, I think people were like, "These guys are a fucking joke." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like whereas, like now, like I don't think there's any other. Like you've got your few handfuls of ones that are guarantees. You know, like I probably like in-house Nintendo games are roughly a guarantee. You Bethesda, know, you Naughty Dog, them. yeah. Yeah, like they're, they're they're generally good, high quality games. And you'd have to say from software, well up there as well. You can, you know, like I, if I'm being honest, I don't ever reserve games. You know, like it's not. I do, like maybe if there's something you know very one off, unique, I might. But I'm generally the type, probably similar to yourself, where I'll happily wait for a review, a review, and then just get it a little bit later. But I suppose yeah. like from software, they're one of the few bankers that I'd go for. Yeah, to be fair, if it's got the FromSoft name on it these days, I'm just like, that'll be a banger, and I'll just buy it without knowing much about it. Yeah, I've, I've looked up our man, by the way. His, his name on YouTube is Iron Pineapple. Iron so Pineapple. Would, yeah, yeah, so I would recommend his. It's basically, his series is called I Played Souls-like Games That You've Never Heard Of. All right, I'm, I'm going to watch that later on today. Um, I'll give another YouTuber a shout-out while I'm here. It's when I was fucking chewing Scoot's ear off about last night we had our, our Japan night watching Japanese films eating Japanese food drinking Japanese beer and um, I was I was showing him this YouTuber called uh, Used Pizza um, and this guy likes basically every obscure 90s game that I like that no one seems to have ever heard of so he did a Blue Stinger playthrough he's got an Ill Bleed playthrough Hybrid Heaven Parasite Eve uh, The Grinch game for the PS1 all these games from the 90s that I liked and no one seems to have heard of so uh yeah he's he's like this podcast in youtube form i guess he's pretty good yeah no, brilliant brilliant it's pretty ace yeah i, I think uh I, I don't forget i need to give any shout outs to the uh youtubers i uh, like I think, I think some consultants got about like three million subscribers so i don't think he's uh have to do many more, to be honest. <laughs> someone someone insults a good one though so if you listen yeah. to this and you don't subscribe to someone insult then go, go and do it um i'm, con- I'm conscious we're- I, 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 yeah, Sorry, I, think, I think me and you both think we have many a conversation over lockdown about uh, these high scoring, you know, record breaking <laughs> YouTube compilation videos. Like somehow they're a lot of fun to watch. I don't yeah. know why, but they are. 
Yeah, like I've seen the latest some insult one was like the uh, the world record of super punch outs. Uh, you put that one out, I think it's about an hour long, so you've got to sit down and dedicate a good hour to it. But yeah, well worth the watch, as addictive as ever. I always do with someone insult. I always get myself a drink and a snack, and I and I just strap myself in because it's it's always a lot of fun. My favorite one he did, I think. And then the Mario 64 one, I think, was really, really good, if I remember rightly. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he had one, like, for the 16-star record not too long ago, didn't he? Might have been that one that I'm on about, yeah. yeah. I, I remember a really good Mario 64 one he did that I was, like, obsessed with for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Mario 64 is one of those unusual ones where it's got, like, a few... Um, I, I think my understanding is a lot of games have, like, one record that's recognised the most. Like, say, like, GoldenEye, I think it's, like... I think Double O Agents or Agents is like you know one of the more of them is like more recognised than the other. Double O like, Agents, the, the top one, isn't it? Um, it what are you saying? One of the records is more prestigious. Well, I think on Mario sixty four, I think I think they're all kind of roughly considered equal, as in because like you can complete it with all stars, then I think you can complete it with sixteen as the minimum. But then I think people do it with one and zero if they use. Do you know, have you seen those like? how they clip through the doors oh yeah you can like clip up the stairs leading to Bowser can't you yeah. but you can effectively do it with no stars and then you just go you can just you can clip through a series of doors just to get up to the final room and just do Bowser and then that's kind of like you finish with the game so like, I think there's loads of different records and I think just the way people have pushed it it's so close to being like frame perfect it's, it's just unbelievable because like those records are like not that far off the tool assisted records which I just find crazy it's unbelievable yeah I was going to say it's mind boggling to think that like obviously your tool assisted stuff is like as perfect as it can be and someone's like inputs on the gamepad are are, like virtually as accurate as a computer that's insane oh no it's uh, it's unbelievable you know the the hours these guys must put into it I just can't uh, can't fathom (laughs) it's the crazy well, I'm I'm gonna call it there on Choo Choo Rocket because I feel like uh, we, we yeah, gave like ten. We, we, we have gone off on a few tangents, which, to be honest, is pretty typical of our gaming conversation. So I'm uh, glad we got that down on record. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad we did, and that's. I also thought, like I said at the start of the episode, I was like, Choo Choo Rocket is a good game. But I don't have very much to say about it, so yeah. I, I I wouldn't have wanted to just put up a five minute episode of myself going. Yeah, I played it. It's a fun game. It's got cute cats and mice. Like, I'd much rather have a, a good amigo on and just do yeah. do some retro gaming talks. At the end of the day, this 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 podcast is all about nostalgia and and like you you've given you've given some stuff that I'll certainly go and check out. So, Aria of Sorrow for sure. I'm gonna check out your YouTube boy. Um, you know the the stuff there that I'll check out. But for now, I think I'll I'll sign off. You any any parting words you'd like to say to the people listening? Absolutely, and and I always hope when I do these podcasts that all former Dreamcast producers are listening because I always have nice things to say about them. But I will say to you, thank you very much for um, putting some time in your diary for me, doing a Zoom call at 10am on a Sunday. (laughs) It was a pleasure, I was happy to do it. And uh, one last time, the cats are being naughty, so I'll let them in one more time. And then I'll say to the people at home uh, listening, thank you very much for your time, and uh, 
this is me signing off on on Dreamcast Game Library. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Yeah.